0: So welcome to the Strange On Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Strange On Purpose podcast. I'm Izzy. Let's get rolling. Honesty Hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I'm Izzy and I'm super excited to have my guest on today. I was thinking about different intros I can make for this guest and I really decided to get pen to paper and write a ton of different things and then I realized no one can do it better than him. So my guest today is Jeff Henderson. Jeff, thanks for jumping on with me.
1: Izzy, greatly appreciate you letting me uh, spend some time. I have no introduction of myself. I I don't even like talking about myself. Like no one knows who I am because I don't even want to talk about myself ever. So I don't know why you set me up to give my own introduction. Um, That's just terrible. I've never come on this podcast ever again. Um, This is it. This is first and last.
0: (laughs) So there's going to be a ton of people that are logged on to the episode that may not know who Jeff Henderson is or may not know what you're working on or anything like that so to those people can you give them a little bit of an intro as to who you are what you do and maybe uh what you've accomplished so far
1: yo again you're making me work here but i think there's (laughs) uh i think they i don't know i don't know if it's an easy part i mean the reality is right now i'm jeff henderson um i run a creative agency out of harlem um, we do product creation and content creation um, all at the same time. We're kind of a one-stop shop. So, if you need product design, manufacturing, um, strategy, content creation, marketing, we're kind of like we do everything but I think digital at this point. Uh, and it's really myself and I think we're now up to like eight in-house and in a. Few people who come in and help with extra projects but we tackle everything from sneakers to we're doing health and wellness now we're doing property management um you name it we sort of stick our nose in just to keep our i don't know eyes and ears fresh uh just with creative things but i guess the history most people would like relate to i spent 15 years at nike after getting an engineering degree um purdue georgia tech and then at Nike, I was doing basketball, sportswear, you name it. I'm sure we'll get into those things. Left there, started agency and between Yeezy, um, Converse, Under Armour, working with health and wellness now, brand called Ace of Air, Everlane, um, just a group having some fun up here in Harlem. So it's all over the place.
0: I love that you just said fun. Because it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs forget that they're having and they could have. So do you have any advice for that entrepreneur that may be listening that has forgotten how fun that this could be? And how if you don't have fun, how slowly this can all come crashing down on you all over again?
1: yo i think it's really complicated like i tell people all the time i never had planned to be an entrepreneur i think there's a combination of even when i was internal to like nike i had trouble focusing on one thing so like i would bounce from job to job or i took on jobs that were very they were vague in terms of what they were supposed to be like it was like hey go to japan and start doing shoes and i was like i don't know what that means i love it like it just didn't really have a focus. Um, do innovation for Kohan, like it was dress shoes. What does that mean? I don't know. Make it up as you go along. And so, because that sort of was appealing to me, I think when um, Nike sold Kohan, Kohan let me go. I was like, Yo, I can do anything now. And I think the the one bit of advice that sort of goes with it is like. Define what success looks like to you almost daily and then in big picture because I think I use the example all the time is that is success if you started a restaurant having one restaurant open for 50 years or open a chain of 50 restaurants for like two years like what does success look like because one could employ I don't know five people for a long time and the other could employ a lot of people for a short time so Those are sort of two different realms of success. Um, Figure out which one is best for you and shoot for that. Because I think too many people are focused on how can I, like, I don't know, make a billion dollars or how can I, like, drive this car or that car when really it's like, you know, if driving the car is your value of success, go with that. Figure out what that and is. Don't let everybody else push you in a direction of what success should feel like when you can feel it for yourself.
0: Um, so I don't know if that's good advice or bad advice, but that's all I got right now. So when we talk about everything you've touched and the advice that you just gave, let's talk about this, this sneaker brand that you have 99 products. What is it? Tell the audience as to what it is and, and how it got started.
1: Yeah. So 99 products is this in-house sneaker brand that came from, Originally, we were doing some projects overseas, and it was for a private label. And one of the arrangements we made is that we got to own all the designs, all the tooling, everything that kind of goes into production of the shoe that we could then do for ourselves. And So I was having dinner with the factory owner, and just jokingly, was like, yo, could you make this something I can sell in the US? I need best of everything. And I wasn't sure. Like, I, This was my pure being naive to who I was speaking to. Like, He took that as a challenge. And the shoe shows up with carbon fiber, all the best Japanese um, textiles, like everything that's like amazing. And I was like, oh, okay. So I bought 2,000 pair pretty much over dinner. And from there, I said, okay, I got to make a brand. And most of the projects that I worked on, uh, this is kind of running thing that um, a conversation that, so I worked closely with Jason Maiden, uh, Dwayne Edwards, when we were at Nike, and we talked about all the time about like, We made a lot of shoes that people know, but like 99% of the people on the planet have never touched it, either because it's expensive or just, I don't know, allocation. Like it's just hard to get to, like no matter what it was. And so the idea that 99% of people never touch it, I kind of wanted to make something for like everybody. So a brand that wasn't wrapped around celebrity, wasn't wrapped around necessarily athletes and their access. It was just more around like just make an all around good shoe that anybody could get to. And see what happens and so 99 just kind of stuck in my head did a little logo create a little brand and we've been doing launches and sort of just fun giveaways so we gave 300 pair to teachers i'm on the board at a school up at hell's kitchen so we hit all the faculty all the teachers even security guards um, cafeteria workers we had all them up with pairs of shoes during covid we made sure we hit um hospitals uh just sort of i don't know have a good time and celebrate people who don't normally get celebrated so the first colors were chalk um we've come out i think on the way now we've got some bubblegum pink coming out and it's also the idea like the colors are a little bit over the top because most teachers don't go out of their way to go get a bright yellow shoe a bright pink shoe and the idea like but they would if you kind of told them this shoe was for them and so we kind of went out of our way to make sure they didn't get something boring or something basic. Like you said, let's make something interesting because uh, they can be cool too, if they want it to be. So that's sort of the side project. We sort of landed on that's turned into like a real project.
0: Damn. I love that it really shows how, like you said before, like you just dive into something rather than waiting on it or anything like that. You're at dinner and you're like 2000 pairs of those. They're mine. <laughs> That's just not something most people would do.
1: It's no different than most people don't start a podcast and reach out to people and go, yo, let's talk. I mean, they may say it, but I think there's a difference between talking about it and actually doing it. And I think with our team, it's very much like I don't want to see ideas just on, I don't know, hey, I got an email. Let me send you something. It's like, nah, send me something a little tighter. And then when you get done, go make something. Go make a prototype. Go put something so we can all make fun of it, mock it, tell you how crappy it is. But then spend an hour trying to make it like amazing because that's where you want it to go. And I think that like one of my like, I don't know, goofy little sayings is show your work. And I think a lot of times people just kind of say they want to do something. But if you throw it on the wall, if you tell people this is what I want to do and go out of your way more than others, other people will be like, oh, no, you really mean it. So you really mean it. So how can I support? Um, So I think that shoe is an example of. Like, all right, let's try some stuff. And I didn't know how good it would be. I didn't know whether it would work. And it sort of clicked with some people. So that's been, it's the fun of it because we just like making things. So that keeps us
0: busy. You just said show your work. And that's just something that I have PTSD of my dad telling me that all the time doing math homework and everything like that. Where did that come from? Did that come from engineering, engineering, did that come from elementary school? Where where does that come from? Because like as a creative, it's so important to go back and look at that work. So where did show your work really come from? My mother's a teacher. So part of me celebrating
1: teachers is I watched her grade papers at like nine o'clock at night after like telling me go to bed and I didn't go to bed. Um, I saw all of that and it was pretty much like I don't know what your intent is if you don't show your work. So if you show me that you tried and you got the answer wrong, then that's meaningful. I can help you get the answer right. But I don't know if you don't show me. And I think that just went all the way, you're right, through engineering school. But it also I think when I got to Nike, one of the things like I had like some trouble spots of like I wasn't getting where I wanted to get to and I felt like I could do more. And one of my like mentors, Ray Butts, was like, Put your stuff on the wall. Like, hang that shit up. Show everybody. Because if your team's not supporting you, like, other people will see it, whether they want to or not. So I think people would kind of show some stuff. I was like ugly about it. I'd put up everything that like failed, every project that didn't go anywhere. It was like, yo, this is what I do for good or for bad. And what was good was sometimes people would come up and be like, well, that's trash. And I'd be like, oh, I thought that was amazing and the and some of them were right i was like oh like too many people came up and told me it was trash and so i was like oh okay i thought that was good and then i have other stuff that like i completely was like yeah that's okay and people were like no that's amazing and i'd be like oh okay so i had to show work in order to get people's opinions and then start to measure like do those opinions count are they collectively right like let me see what that feels like but if you don't show your work if you don't put yourself out there basically to be I don't know. Giving the room for people, give people the room to give guidance. Um, kind of just a uh, blowing smoke.
0: You mentioned constructive criticism, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm harsh with it. I'm harsh it, with it. yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's it's just something that so many people struggle with these days. We've all been told that we're doing things the right way, but like when it comes down to hearth. Hardcore constructive advice, it seems like we've lacked that for so long. So when you have your yeah. team and you have all these different things, where where does that really fit into the, the Nike story and, and where does that kind of start to groom Jeff? So no, I, what was wild is that I think if you go through design school, you
1: you go through critiques. Like, people tell you good, bad, yada, yada. And I went to engineering school where the answer is the answer. So it is what it is. And so I really wasn't used to critiques. And the bad part was when I showed up, like, I didn't really have design skills. I showed up with an engineering degree and was trying to basically use drawing skills that I taught myself when I was in, like, eighth grade, basically. And so what I had to learn is basically... Mine was a little different. I had to seek out criticism because it was Pacific Northwest. Everybody was a little passive aggressive. So they didn't want to tell you if something was bad. They'd be like, oh, you know, that's cool. And it would stop. And so I was like, oh, this is good. And it wasn't until I met um, it was one of the design managers, Sean McConnell, um, great dude. And he was like, I was showing him my portfolio because somebody introduced me to him. And he was like, let me show you something. And he went over to a stack of portfolios from like all the best schools. And was like look at those and they were like head and shoulders above my and he was like for real for real this is like what we see every week we just get piles of these you're nowhere near that and i was like i needed to hear that like i needed needed to hear that and so it was just a reality check and i think it just became this like i needed to always hear real talk and sometimes well a lot of times most people project what they want for themselves so a lot of times like my criticism is harsh because i'm just like pretty blunt and pretty quick like nah i'm not feeling it that doesn't mean i'm right it just means i'm not feeling it and i remember um like one of the best people i've worked with sharice thornhill uh, who's doing seed now at adidas like i remember early on i was like yo she didn't know if she was doing well and other people were telling her stuff was good or bad i was like No, 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 just go into the big room of like designs and like in the Mia Ham building at Nike, there was a room where every design that was ever done for a season was up on the walls. And I was like, You need to have at least once a year of those. I think it'd be like maybe 70, 80 shoes. I was like, Your shoe has to be in the top 10 at least once a year, just has to be in the top 10. She's like, Well, what do you mean the top 10? I was like, when all the creative directors come through, we look at the images and we all make our like, oh, these are like the top 10 on our list. And if you took all those people together, you would get a top 10. We might not all agree. We might all go, these five are definitely in the top 10, but we'd all scatter around with the other top 10, with the other top five and be. But in general, we sort of have a like viewpoint. And she was like, well, those are all opinions. I was like, yeah, but it's like the best designers in the world and lots of us. So if we collectively don't think it's good, then for the brand, it might not be good. Now, then you got to decide, is Nike trash? Because these are the people putting out all the Nike shoes. Or is Nike good? And if you think it's good, then you want to be on the top 10. And that's just a way to like process how criticism can take you somewhere. And sometimes it's not always good. Like I was at Nike when maybe some of those years, those people weren't really giving you good advice. But I was there when sometimes they were. And you had to figure out when the good words were coming. Um, and it's just... Taking that criticism, I think, constructively, I mean, our team is pretty, like, aggressive, and we will mock and make fun of a bad design for, like, three years if you put it on the table. But it's meant to, like, in a positive way, sort of build up people's, I guess, thick skin and also get them, like, you can go back, you can make it better. And we always go back to, remember that thing you drew, it was trash? Look at it now. Like, it's it's amazing. And it's just going through those reps of everything you put on the table might not be amazing but your crew can help you get there
0: so you're going through your journey at nike can you give a little bit of uh i guess let's call it a, let's call it a snippet of the journey and how you got there <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, mine is probably that career that wasn't supposed to be and it's awkward because it's probably like the exact wrong path you're supposed to take. Like I said, I had an engineering degree. I showed up at Nike um, in the drafting department that most people had like a two-year associate's and I had an engineering degree and I was in my um, I wouldn't call it minor, like major was, en- was mechanical engineering, but I focused on 3D design. So I was interning for Silicon Graphics doing like 3D work um, just for fun while I worked at AT and T. So when I got to Nike doing like 2D blueprints, like I could do those in my sleep. So about a month into the job, I went to my boss and I was like, "I'm bored." Like he was like, "Of course you are. You got an engineering degree. Go find yourself another job." Which was weird. Like he could have been like, "Suck it up and do your job," but he was like, "Go find a job." And so I ended up like busting my butt and like I said they looked at me and were like nah this ain't it and it was funny I was gonna basically leave Nike go to grad school go to design and Mike Cavini one of my biggest mentors was like oh that's cool you're gonna go to uh, grad school to learn how to be a designer I was like yeah he's like what you gonna design I was like well when I graduate hopefully I can design sneakers he's like oh that's dope where are you gonna do that I was like here hopefully he was like oh so you're gonna tell me you're gonna pay a bunch of money to learn how to draw shoes here when you're surrounded by people who draw shoes here so I was like uh that was an example of show your work because he's like are you stupid or are you dumb tell me which one is it so lo and behold I just went and sat at everybody's desk like appreciation to all those people from Tinker to Mike Avini to Aaron Cooper to Andre Doxy like everybody was like yo just sit down let me show you how this is done and people like Ken Link were like yo come and present and so I think I got my opportunity to then show again and I got into the kids team, which was like sort of the basics, but it's what I needed because basically all I was doing was taking adult shoes and shrinking them down. So I was learning the production and engineering of shoes, like how to cut costs, how to get different shapes, out of materials. Like I was getting the basics. Um, After two years of that, I was kind of bored. They sent me up to basketball that was a little bit of struggle because again i was trying to do something uh some days it was i was trying too hard some days the group wasn't really gelling with me to the point where i kind of went in and like quit altogether and that's when it was like hey you want to go to japan yo of course so i go to japan i do three years of working with every team um did the what is it? The Kana, Katana Racer 3 won gold in the Olympics in um, the marathon. The running team was like, yo, you should come work with us. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't like running. And so I I literally wrote. Uh, and so Matt Holmes was like director. And he was like, what do you mean you don't want to work in running? I was like, I, I don't like running. I just that's not I like I just don't like running. And he was like, well, what would you do if you worked in running? So I wrote a presentation called I Hate Running. And essentially, the insight was: if you are an athlete in any other sport, you are given running as a punishment. You screw up in basketball, you run. You screw up in football, you run. That's what the. Co- now, what you don't learn until you after you become your own coach is the coach is going to make you run whether you did good or not. Like, but when you're a high school kid and you screw up and miss a layup, the coach goes, "Everybody on the line." You feel like running is a punishment. So I was like, I'm not going to make punishment shoes. I'm going to make shoes that look like Jordans and up-tempo out of running shoes. Knowing that I would not get hired. I could go work in some other category like soccer, Jordan or whatever else. And they were like, you're going to running. We need that. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So the good part was I sat with like some of the best creative folk I've ever sat with. Like I would say that was probably one of the most talented head-to-toe teams I've ever been on. And most of the time was spent figuring out how to make technical running shoes not look like um, medicinal technical running shoes. And that was one of the hardest, I think, projects we had and one of the most educational projects. And so got to hang out with that for a while. When I was done with the sportswear, within sportswear, uh, I was only there for like a year. I think that's when uh, we had like... Who did Dylan um, Raj did the Roshi Run we re- we brought back the running Harachi. like we just did some fun things and we sort of wrote a program based on yo let's flip some shoes over and over for like years instead of like doing it for like one season and being out um, so that was sort of like the whole of Nike until I went to Kohan uh, which was moving east because uh, my family was on the east coast so we just had to move east and that was a whole nother nike-esque experience uh, but nike was an am- it was an amazing learning experience values and like i don't know that i ever would have left nike if it had not been in oregon like i was happy i was a happy company employee like i was good i, was- I don't think i'd have been an entrepreneur
0: so you talk about kolhan and it's super interesting to me because i had Erin menton on the podcast oh uh, yeah and she's formerly formerly of Colhan and she spoke very highly of Kohan and her time there. What did you take from Kohan that you're still like kind of using today? And from my standpoint, from hearing Aaron and others, it seems like Nike really just took it over, and there was no Kohan effect or anything like that. So, how was your time?
1: <laughs> so it wild. Is like uh, most Nike employees view Kohan as those dress shoes you got for fifty percent off. Cause you worked at Nike, like that's, and so I didn't know much about it, and so when I was leaving to come to New York, um, John Hoke was like, "Yo, you want to go to Kohan?" I was like, "Not really," but what is it? And he said, like, "Dress shoe company." I was like, "Okay," so I was a little bit intrigued, and the history I had to like catch up on is like that at least the I'm trying to like pull this stuff together is like essentially Phil Knight bought kohan for nike in 88 because in 1988 if you wanted to be a real shoe company you had to make brown shoes and so he had to buy a real brown shoe company in order to one day be legit well fast forward like maybe five years and kohan was an afterthought so kohan was just some dress shoes that we saw at the employee store like i got to nike in 96 and like oh some dress shoes and i think i bought two pair and they sat dusty because i worked for this company where Sneakers are the norm. So, unless it was a wedding or something important, I didn't really break open those dress shoes. And so, twice, I think, in the career or in the history of Kohan, what happened was I think roughly in the early 2000s, Gordon Thompson used to be creative director of Nike, came back east, and he introduced the G series uh, for Kohan with the Air Bubble. He was on Oprah, um, added air shoes, added airbags to like dress uh, shoes and it was a big deal and it had a good run for maybe three four years and then it sort of died down and so it hadn't done anything this is by 2010 and so when i show up it was literally like yo go make something and to your point like nothing was there and this was to bring nike there And so who was there maggie molitor at the time um, tj pap was there and so it was like go build whatever you want And i remember i was like i just want to learn how to make dress shoes like this is a new world for me i get to learn something new like i had learned so much of running that i was like i remember dejecting running and now like learn so much from that process i was like i want to do that again here at kohan i want to learn last and fit and shape and like just understand what those things are a week and a half into doing that mark parker shows up and he's like, what are, you drunk, work, what are you working on over there, Jeff? And I was like, you know, I'm just doing, you know, learning how to make brown shoes. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Um, remember what you did at um, in sportswear like two months ago when I last saw you? I was like, yeah. He's like, just, just do that. Okay. So then it was like, what's hot? Mm, lunar. All right, let's put lunar on the bottom of this wingtip. And I literally drew that shoe in probably an hour. Oh, and I I remember I used the technique I watched Dylan Roche do for the Roshi run. So Dylan Roche came from like, oh, what skate company? Uh, I can't remember. He came from a skate company and all he was drawing was skate shoes. Everything he drew looked like a skate shoe. So it was a little frustration trying to get him out of that. And then I showed up one day. I was like, yo, Dylan, just go downstairs, make whatever you want, but make it dope. Like we just need to get you off of like drawing skate shoes and whatever is being briefed buy the marketing, just make whatever you want. He was like, okay. A week later, he came back with like the best running sketch I'd ever seen after working and running for three years, arguing with people out running. I was like, yo, how did you do that? He's like, oh, it's easy. I just took like the five best running shoes, overlaid them in transparency over each other, and I drew like the average of them. I was like, oh my God, that is stupid. When I got the Koha, huh? I did the exact same thing. I was like, tell me what the best wingtips are, and I'm just going to draw over them and I literally drew, like, a wingtip and then put, like, this lunar bottom on it. And I remember telling, like, um, Steve Becky, who was, like, head of development at the time, was, like, yo, this is just an idea. Parker likes it. Can you just, like, make a mock-up? He's like, oh, yeah, no, no no problem, no problem. Well, three months later, so I had to go. I was only in New York for, like, two months. Or one month, actually. I go back to Oregon, had to get the kids out of school, come back to New York, like, maybe two months later for, like, a meeting, and Becky is like... Yo, 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 the shoe's back, is good. I was like, what shoe? He was like, that thing you drew. I was like, well, that was just a sketch. He was like, no, nah, no, nah, that was a really good sketch. Like, you did t- you did everything. It was, we we got it for production. I was like, what? And literally, it was the lunar grand. I was like, oh, this is how you do things. Because I had never been through that process. I remember landing at Kohan, and I was like, oh, so what is, like, what are big numbers here at Kohan, just in terms of volume? And I was like two i was like maybe 20 25 000. they looked at me like yo if we did twenty-five thousand 000 pair of a shoe that would be amazing at nike the minimum for like a regular order was thirty thousand pair like of a model like that was so that's where my mind was so i was like in this whole place like yo this is this is wild but i didn't know anything different like i grew up in nike so that's all i knew so i got the chance to like rewrite what i thought was right based on who i brought in like i brought in salehi i brought in jen hong um just as like this is not the standard nike hire and we're just going to run things our own way but we're going to do things in like kind of a nike way so it was a little odd um in that it was kind of not nike and kind of not go on it was kind of its own little i don't know new way of thinking because um,
0: it was dress shoes so That was going on. When we talk about Nike, I can't not talk about Jordan. And I'm guessing when you're going through your Nike journey, there was some element of Jordan. It's almost every creative's dream. If if you grew up a Jordan fan, so was that ever an aspiration for you to to jump on the Jordan team? No, I think it was
1: a. I mean. I don't know, probably I discovered I wanted to design shoes when I was a senior in high school and nobody really knew what that meant, where I was from. So I just got an engineering degree. So when I got to Nike, I knew I kind of wanted to make shoes. I wasn't sure what that meant, whether it was design them or engineering. Like, I just wasn't sure. So when I landed there, I just met the people who did them. And I probably saw that there was a lot more freedom in being the designer than the developer or the engineer. So I was like, all right, let me just learn how to do that portion. And at that time, I think I had no grandiose goal other than I wanted to be a designer. It wasn't about whether I designed Jordans or basketball or running or like at that point, there wasn't really a, in my head, uh, it's sort of like when people are like, oh, that NBA player is trash. I'm like, he's an nba player like i like raise your hand if you've played if you've scored two points in an nba game no one's raising their hand like that's a different thing like i only wanted to make the league i didn't care if like i could play in a championship or if i played like 20 games i just was trying to get a spot in the league and i think once i got there i was like oh okay now i have a little bit of interest but i was more interested in like which teams are having fun who's doing good work like where am i going to be allowed to grow as a designer um whether it was jordan or kids or soccer um, i think i my real passion was probably i wanted to travel the world and so jordan wasn't necessarily traveling the world like and i think i may have applied to jordan or wanted to be in there at one point or time but that's probably true about soccer skate like there were just a lot of places that were intriguing um Jordan was one of them and my friends all worked in Jordan was like okay I ain't going over there with all y'all like it's too much fun so I
0: need to go learn something someplace else. Interesting so you mentioned traveling the world you went to Japan dude that is a creative dream my dream right now (laughs) how was that experience for you? Yeah that
1: experience was I don't know if i could ever compare my children were small and nike paid for everything and it was at the point in my career when i was going from just making to just starting to like direct and drive conversations and so it was new to nike so all the vps would come in that's why I like i got to know on a first name basis like almost all the VPs, because it would always be a dinner. i like, oh, let's all go to dinner, and hey, Jeff, you're in the building, let's go. i like, okay, this is way beyond my pay grade, but sure. Um, and so like, that opportunity was like amazing into itself as just a proposition for, I think, work. But in terms of creative, it was off the charts. Because again, so many people showed up with talent, and they wanted to see what Tokyo was about, what Japan was about, and the leg up it gave me is... I was sort of their entry into seeing more things from Tokyo, from the experience, because I was an English speaker who knew my way around. And so I could walk them through. So most of the people who I hung around with uh, in Japan were actually like these five guys who were Japanese who all went to international school and then went to school abroad. So they spoke perfect English. And they could point out to me what was different about things that I was, like, fascinated by. And so those guys, like, I played basketball with and they would, like, take me places that were off the beaten path. And then the creative lens that Nike held also allowed me to kind of get into spaces that, I don't know, the average person wouldn't get into. So that was a great way for me to move um, around places um, to kind of get things done from a creative perspective that... I don't know. I haven't really had since. And the other part, it was like, at that point, the world was new. There was no internet. So when you discover something, you were still discovering something. Uh, whereas now, you can kind of get a little information. We literally rode around Japan in a red X-Trail with all Japanese um, writing um, for the, um, what is it? The navigation. And we would just basically plug something in and hope it was right and drive for two hours. Like, literally, that's how we lived. Um, so... It was a wild journey. It was a wild journey.
0: Damn, I'm super jealous. I can't wait to get out to Japan. Uh, seriously, a dream of mine. Starting the travel fun as soon as I get out of the COVID hole. But getting back on the journey. You're at Kohan. You feel like time is running out. Is this when you decide, like, I'm gonna launch this agency? So no, I actually fought everything that I'm probably doing right now. I um,
1: let's see, I was like I'm done doing shoes I've done shoes my entire life I kind of had that Jordan baseball moment of like this is it like I've kind of done all there is to do with shoes I'm gonna go do something else There's this new digital world and I'm gonna discover branding and marketing and do all that and so I just focused on that and so I started working with small brands or um, nonprofits in New York that I could sort of like just figure out which way was up and just chill well, two months into doing that, that's when I think the Under Armour project and Yeezy kind of popped up at the same time. And they were like, yo, you wanna come do some stuff? And I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that ever again. And uh, a month later, I was in, I think Paris, like meeting with Ye to kind of figure out what the heck was going on. And I was meeting with Dave Dombro was at Under Armour. I was like, yo, how can we do something here? And I realized I kind of miss shoes. I'm kind of gonna wanna do shoes no matter what I'm doing. And I just kind of became this one-man band going from project to project. And as I did that, that's when I started picking up people along the way to kind of get stuff done. The agency thing didn't kick in until like, I did a project with Everlane and every thing he wanted to do, I was like, oh yeah, I know somebody could do that. And Michael Prizman was literally like, dude, you should just start an agency. Like, what are you doing? Like, make my life easy. Just have an agency so you can do all this. And I was like, nah, that's too much like adulthood. I don't know if I want to do that, um, but fast forward a year later I was like oh I'm an agency now I guess I might as well own it so that's how we became an agency just because so many things and so many people who kind of hung out with worked on were like yo I want to do that with you like all right let's let's do it
0: so here we are the agency work speaks for itself and I would be remiss if I didn't ask but is there one project that you worked on that you're like damn I really like what we did here Ooh, um, the reality is, and I think this is one of those,
1: I'm, a, I'm an old person, so I talk and old people speak, is that the projects don't mean as much as the people who I've sort of worked with. I remember, um, being at Yeezy and I probably, what I would do is i work on stuff in New York when he was here and then I'd go to LA when we started opening up the studio and I'd probably been there. I don't know, LA at that point, maybe three times. I go like once a month. And this is before I think um, Salehi was there because Saleh just made life easy to have somebody on the ground to get stuff done. But he wasn't there until like maybe two years into the journey. And so I think at one point I showed up and Lauren, Lauren Devine was like a material designer who's amazing in her own right, was like, oh, I'm glad you're back. Uh, yeah, we, like you're our manager, and I was like, I'm your what? She's like, Yeah, you're our manager. Like she was doing materials for apparel. Like I, we never talked about product. Like it was we were, like we might have talked about it, but I wasn't managing anything. She's like, No, no, no. You're the one like who makes sure like we all know what we're doing. And I looked around, I was like, Oh oh y'all are like 20 something and i was 40 something so ours was kind of like the old person in the room who kind of point to do stuff so i just kind of became default at least in her mind like i was doing the management work i was like yeah no that's responsibility but what i think it comes from is like the mentors who I probably respected and worked with and like always needed were less the ones who would kind of tell me draw this draw that or hire this or bigger that it was the ones who would like take the time to be like work on your career work on your financials spend more time doing this spend more time doing that like if i talk about like the time i spent with tinker it was about like how you should work as a creative when i talk about like ray butts it's like he was like this is where you should go to kind of be inspired for your entire career not just this project like just learning things like that so when i think about times when like, I have enjoyed this agency thing. It's really been about watching Sarah Jaramillo like tackle projects on her own when she was kind of just figuring things out. And now she's like art directing like full on um, campaigns for um, brands who like look at her like, oh, you're killing it. I'm like, yo, that like that growth to me is like much better. I always refer to it as like, Um, refrigerator art you know how kids can draw something and you put it on your refrigerator like literally those projects mean more to me than like anything I've worked on so that to me is a big deal.
0: So obviously the people have such a such a big emphasis uh, on your journey so far so what are you doing today to kind of give back to that community and uh, really uplift the people around you and all the other things that you're working on?
1: Yo, so couple of organizations we're working with uh, who've been nice enough to like let us like i don't know help cultivate cultivate their brand and sort of like give them some presence like fc harlem is a soccer club run by irv smalls um it's been around forever but irv took it over in the um, early 2000s and took this like basically community soccer club and now they're like sponsored by chelsea i think adidas was a sponsor at one point nike was a sponsor at one point um And they sort of like are building out something big and needed visuals and merch to kind of go with it. So our team sort of took them as a project and built out their campaigns. Uh, In January, we did, uh, no, it was Black History Month. So in February, we did a full campaign with EA Sports because they were featured in um, the FIFA game. So like those kind of projects, like start off as like something small, but I think more and more people because they care about community and lots of corporations, like they want to do something with these community projects. And like Harlem Grown is another one. It's a farm uh, here in Harlem where Tony Hillary is built. And he's going to yell at me because I always forget. Um, I think he has six total farms. He's in like schoolyards, but he's also in standalone properties. He has this giant innovation, like vertical farm on 127th and Linux. Like it's these big projects that are kind of under the radar in terms of i don't know regular folk um they may be known in terms of like the nonprofit world they may be known uh Tony Hillary raises like way too much money like I shouldn't say too much he raises lots of money to just feed and fuel this program that basically all the food is given away to the community like it's an amazing um opportunities developed and yet they corporations are like, yo, how do we work with you? I'm like, this is how you work with them. So we had Carhartt, my guy, Scott Zimmerman over at Carhartt, like he was like, yo, let's get them some gear. So we get them gear, we do photo shoots. We just turn projects like that from what would normally be a normal nonprofit into like, yo, let's do real photo shoots. Like the school in Hell's Kitchen, we did their uniforms and we did photo shoots in Madison Square Garden because we could, Um, like, why wouldn't you? And so giving those kids an opportunity to see themselves like on a big stage, I think it's mind blowing for them to think, oh, because it's New York City, it's all in their backyard. So let's take advantage of it and let everybody have the opportunity. So the community stuff is kind of big for our group because it allows the team a place to kind of work where people are super appreciative. Like not that corporate conversations aren't appreciative, but when you're helping out a nonprofit, it was like, yo, I was just going to take my phone and take like this janky picture and you guys showed up with like fancy cameras, you got John Lopez coming off like a New York Knicks trip or just before he heads to like Olympics or UIBL. he's gonna come
0: shoot us. Like that, that feels good. I love that, I love that. You're also giving back to the community by starting of all things an Airbnb. Do you wanna talk about that a little bit? yeah that's um that's a new thing we stepped into
1: just we we needed a studio for ourselves and so we have some property and we kind of wanted to work it actually started out pre-covid where we work with um one of our community partners is um, millbank community center on 118th so we were actually going to use one of their classrooms to meet because we kind of only needed to meet maybe two, three times a week, maybe half a day. And so instead of like running out of full place, we decided, well, we'll take this community center room and like flip it. And so we put big screen TVs, we painted it, we added some shelving, um, just things that we would need for like a studio and then COVID hit and we couldn't go. And so what ended up happening during COVID, we actually acquired a some property And there's a two-bedroom apartment. It's like, all right, let's use that and make it a full place where we can work. And this was during COVID. So the whole team used that as our bubble. And so four people were staying there. And then another four people who actually live in Harlem, they uh, would come daily. And it was our little bubble, like it would be, if you saw it, you might be like, whoa, they're like ignoring COVID protocol. But like, that's all—that's the only place anybody went. They just went and worked because they really wanted to like bond with everybody. And so we sort of saw that as like, you know what? Other people need this opportunity and people are gonna be staying in hotels less. So we're like, you know what? Let's turn this into a proper like rental. Let's put all the stuff that you would need to work. And so when people come to New York, the idea is they'll have access. And so we're going to have it up and running by June. um, So people can just kind of book it and you can use it as sort of like your WeWork. You can stay there, use it as like your hotel room. Um, The entire basement will be, uh, not the entire basement, but a room in the back patio is actually photo studio. So we're going to have backgrounds. We're going to have lighting that you can run out and use it. And so, especially for young creatives who are like, You're looking for a studio space, but if you're, I mean, there's no real, what is it? There's no, there's only a couple photo studios north of 26th street, like in New York street, till you get to like the Bronx where there's a little more room. And so there's just not a lot of room to do creative work. And so it was sort of like, this is an opportunity for us to give people the chance to, I mean, it might be a little pricey for like an individual, but if four of you go in, then you have a place where you can do photo shoots and build out and sleep there overnight. So It's kind of how we're sort of building more things out so people just, a lot of the concern in the city is like, there's just not enough space. And if you want to be a creative, you kind of sometimes need space. And so we can't provide it for everybody at all times, but giving people a little bit of access to like a little bit of space is kind of what we're trying to work on. Not just for us, but for more people.
0: What makes you strange on purpose, Jeff?
1: What makes me strange on purpose? So (laughs) what's wild is, I think it used to be the idea that I did things with intent, like the fact that like in our entire like creative crew is like black or brown, it was sort of the gives opportunity to people um, who wouldn't normally get the opportunity. Um, I think that's been viewed as a little less strange over the last year, as you might imagine. Um, so that I think is less strange. I think there's, the reality is that we have a crew of nerds that are sort of focused in the creative space but also community in a way that you know we know what the hype is we know that you know there's certain things that just get all the eyeballs and all the clicks and our team is like less concerned with that and more concerned with like can you get better as a creative and i think if we do that and folks see what we can do um, and we continue to build like projects sort of like come to us and we just tackle on those so i I don't know that we're strange, um, but I don't know that we're quite normal either. And I think normal is, I don't know, a little boring at this point. So happy to be
0: strange. Exactly, exactly. So we want to be strange like you, Izzy. (laughs) How can people find out more? How can people get involved in the work that you and your team are really crushing? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh appreciate that appreciate that no they can um i mean as an agency you can find us at andem.com a-n-d-t-h-e-m um for any of the work content product creation like that's what we do that's the agency arm and then if you want to just see a lot of the community work that we're doing um you want to purchase and support the airbnb everything's kind of available on good things it's kind of our incubator spot where i don't know the folks we work with folks we hang out with that's where we live and one of those things is 99 products so you want a pair of shoes and you want to support somebody in a different way like go grab a pair of 99 products we got the pink joints coming out hopefully by the time this thing airs you can go click on and buy a pair so
0: um with more to come jeff i appreciate you jumping on the strange on purpose podcast and i look forward to doing this again in the very near future I appreciate all that. Next time you're going to have my introduction. So I do it myself because <laughs> now I got to
1: start making up stuff about me. Um, all good. All good. No, I love what you're doing, Izzy. Love what
0: you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Strange On Purpose podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes before, please like review follow the podcast on instagram drop a review on apple or spotify or wherever you check us out helps the podcast grow immensely so i appreciate you i could not do this without you